Come, gather together as his flock. Rejoice because we are in the care of the Good Shepherd. Come, lie down in green pastures and find deep rest on this Sabbath because we can trust the Good Shepherd. Come, walk beside still waters and find refreshment for your weary soul because we follow the Good Shepherd. Come, dine at the table of abundance, a feast where our cup overflows because we are fed by the Good Shepherd. Come, dwell in God's house, a place of goodness and mercy because we live in the embrace of the Good Shepherd's love. Heavenly Father, how wonderful that it is to belong to you, the Good Shepherd. We thank you for the way that you gather us together in this place, for the way you provide rest and a safe haven from our busy lives. Pour out your blessing on us, Lord. Restore our souls. Help us to recognise your presence with us here this morning. And may our praise and worship be acceptable to you. Amen. Our reading for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. I'm going to read that to you now. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. We're continuing our way through the Sermon on the Mount and we're reflecting on the section of the Bible, which I'm, which I'm calling the largest series, the law of Jesus. And this is where Jesus is quoting the Old Testament law, laws that that society wouldn't have just been familiar with, but they would have built their entire social structure on these very laws that Jesus is quoting. And he's picking out particular laws. And what he's doing is he's showing them how it is that the law is not meant to simply be an external our standard is not simply meant to be a checklist that we can you know, prove that we are better than others because of our ability to follow the letter of each of these laws. Instead, what he's showing is that these laws were there to guide and to train our hearts. And so today, as you just heard in the reading, Jesus is coming to this law here. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus is almost directly quoting from the law, Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 to 25. But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Matter of fact, this was such a foundational law, it's not only, it doesn't just appear once, it appears three times. You can see the other references there, uh, Leviticus 24.20 and then Deuteronomy 19.21. It's repeated three times. It is a really foundational law in the Bible. And its purpose is actually to limit. It's not there to encourage revenge, but it's actually to limit how far a person can go when they are seeking redress for the wrongs that they have suffered. See, what, what the law, let me start in the Old Testament law and then move into the New Testament with what Jesus does with it. What the Old Testament law recognizes is that when we have been hurt, the natural instinct of the human heart is to not 
just give back the same measure of hurt that we have received. What we want to do is give back the same measure of hurt that we have received and then add some more on top. And that's what we call balance. If I can hurt you more than you hurt me, therefore I feel satisfied and I feel now like everything's in balance. So imagine like a a, a high school class where one student steals another student's pen. What What does the student who's been stolen from do in retaliation? Well, they steal the first student's pen and then they go break their ruler, right? And that extra additional act of breaking their ruler gives them that sense of, oh, okay, now I feel satisfied. Now I feel like, you know, I got my pen back and I've got a little bit of justice here to match. But what happens? Does the person who now has his pen stolen in retaliation and his ruler broken feel like everything's in balance? Well, no. So he goes and retaliates by going, well, I'm going to steal your pen, break your ruler and pull your chair out from underneath you so you fall flat flat on your face in front of the whole class. And what you get is a slowly escalating act because the human heart, if left to itself and unguided by any standards or laws, never sees equality as justice. Our idea of justice is to always return what we received and then add an additional step on top of that. And then what the law is doing is it's recognizing this instinct within our human hearts. And what it's doing is it's putting a limiting character on it. What it's saying is when you are seeking redress for the wrongs that you have received, if you are insulted, you can return an insult, but no more. If you get a bruise, you can return a bruise, but no more. If you lose an eye, you can cause the other person to lose an eye, but no more. The law kind of sounds like it's a bit punitive, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But within the Old Testament structure, it's actually a limiting law. It's to push against the human instinct to have a desire that I have been hurt, so therefore I need to hurt you and then some so that I can feel satisfied. What's funny is I say that that human uh, attitude was what the Old Testament law was trying to address. But I think that instinct very much is alive and well within our day to day. How often do we see, and I think it's all around us, many, many examples of people who in all sorts of different ways are in some ways offended or slandered or in some ways harmed in a way which is not criminal. Let's keep criminal, uh, it's it's a separate category. There is a justice through criminality, murder and assault and rape and theft and other things. There is that. But just through interactions, someone says something that is actually, you know, well, that's a bit rude or someone does something to to, to someone, and how often do we see how quickly those things escalate in this day and age? This idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is not just an Old Testament principle. This idea of, I have to hit you back as hard as you hit me, but actually, because my human heart doesn't think that that's fair and right, I need now to increase the damage that, that that I feel you've put upon me so that I can feel like that we are back into a place of equity. And the more you see and the more you interact and the more you watch the things that are happening in the world around us, the more you understand that what the Old Testament law is addressing is actually something that we need to hear in our day and age as a limiting condition. Don't take from people more than what they gave to you. Have the discipline to limit your vengeance to at least the maximum level of, level of what you have received and no more. If we as a society could at least hold ourselves to that level, then, then there would be actually, I think, less conflict and less escalation in the relationships that we see around us. But that's Old Testament law. That's not what Jesus does. Because Jesus takes that principle and he takes it to a place that the law never goes He goes way beyond what the Old Testament law requires. 
Jesus' commentary is this. I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. If Jesus had had have said, do not retaliate against an evil person, that probably would have made more sense to me. But he uses this word, do not resist an evil person. It's not just challenging the condition of don't live in a world in which you are seeking an eye for an eye. But what Jesus is doing is he's widening the application to say to us that we must even be willing to accept ill treatment. And this is the bit that is stunning and revolutionary and challenging about what Jesus is saying to us. What Jesus is not giving us is a command that says to us, all right, when someone treats you poorly, grit your teeth, resist the urge to retaliate and just suck it up, sunshine. That's actually not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. In moments in which you feel like the scales have been tipped against you and you're receiving unfair treatment, you've received a bruise, whatever that means, or you've received whatever it is that's been put upon you, an insult or something, and everything in you at least wants to retaliate in kind, if not even beyond kind, what Jesus is saying is this, stop. And rather than be passive, instead make an active choice. An active choice to bear the weight of that insult, to bear the weight of that slander, and to allow the the scales of fairness to tip against you and bear the weight of that injustice, at least in that moment. The principle of the law, at least the Old Testament law that Jesus was commenting on, was the principle of trying to balance out pain. You hurt me, therefore I get to hurt you back, but no more than you hurt me, limiting the amount of pain I can pay back on you. That was the principle of the Old Testament law. Um, It limits our revenge to equaling what we have received. But what's the problem when we live in a world in which we can pay back everyone who does anything to us that we find offensive or difficult or challenging or hurtful? What happens if we live in a world in which everything is allowed to be paid back equally? What, what this Old Testament principle does is for every single hurt that is done, there needs to be a second matching hurt to balance it out. And what we have done to the world is we now live in a world in which every piece of harmful word or action is doubled. We have multiplied all hurt and harm in the world by two, simply by the principle of I get to pay you back what it is that you paid me back or that that you did to me. The consequence of an eye for an eye is that we live in a world in which our response, our just response uh, requires that we increase the amount of suffering in the world around us and we increase the woundedness of the people around us all in the name of justice or fairness or equity. Do you think Jesus may have a problem in setting up a scale of justice in which what we do is retaliate in kind and thereby just double the pain and double the hurt? double the damage in the world in which we live. Gandhi famously said, an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. And there's deep wisdom in that. An eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. But what Jesus is not calling us to is passivity. There are some people who hear this teaching and then they, they, what they think to themselves is, oh, okay, 
So I'm not going to retaliate, and that means when someone hits me or when someone insults me or when someone slanders me, I just got to sit in the corner and keep my mouth shut and not, not cause any fuss and just, you know, suck it up and sit and feel the pain and just let people treat me however they want to treat me, and that's just the world that Jesus is telling us we've got to live in. And the answer is no, because Jesus gives us three illustrations to help us think through what the implications of this is, and each of these illustrations are quite sharp. Matter of fact, it was these specific illustrations that inspired Gandhi, whose image is there on the screen, to start his non-passive, so his non-violent, non-passive, sorry Gandhi, his non-violent resistance to the British Empire, which ended up with the British Empire being driven out of the entire nation of India. And it was exactly the three illustrations that I'm about to give to you that inspired Martin Luther King in his strategy of civil rights that actually won freedom for, uh, for the blacks in the southern states of America, or at least a measure of freedom, of course, that is still ongoing. In other words, these are not the tools for people who sit in the corner and suck up abusive behavior. But what these tools that Jesus is, is about to outline for us give us is a framework to completely recontextualize and re-understand what it means to live in a world in which people will hurt you. They will slander you. They will offend you. They will speak evil of you. We live in a world in which human interactions will, re- will result in people having hurt feelings or they're actually being sometimes conniving and damaging behavior one person to another. But Jesus says there is a way of confronting that that doesn't just double the amount of pain in the world. There's a way of confronting it which actually opens up a different avenue and a different way. Here's the three. You know them all, but let's unpack them. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. In that culture, a slap on the cheek is almost the height of an insult. To raise your hand against another person and slap them across the face it's very offensive in our, in our culture, but in the Jewish culture in which Jesus is talking to, there was almost the worst insult you can do. If one man walked up to, to another man and went bang and slapped him across the face, you've pretty much humiliated him in front of everyone. It's also the ultimate uh, statement of power and disrespect. I have power over you, so I'm going to slap you and there's nothing you can do about it, is sort of the attitude behind the slap. And it's also disrespect. I think so lowly of you that I'm going to treat you that way. You know, and I'm going to show to everyone just how little you are because I'm going to hit you and as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing you can do about it. In that moment, you've got two choices. Choice number one is you hit them back, eye for an eye. And why not? You feel offended, you feel disrespected. You've got to, you've got to equal, equal out the playing field here. You've got to return as much pain and disrespect to that person as they gave to you. So the natural response is to hit them back. The human response is to hit them back twice. Right? escalate, kind of, oh, mate, I'm really upset at you now. Bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden, it just stacks on. The Jesus response is turn the other cheek. Once again, is Jesus being willy, uh, wishy-washy, nilly-namby? I just, nilly-namby, I think I just made that up. Jesus sort of t- telling us to sulk in the corner and just, you know, just take up, take this sort of ab- uh, abusive behaviour. Well, first things first, turn the other cheek, which means don't increase the violence in the world. A violent act has been done to you. Your first instinct should never be to increase it. So in other words, if worse comes to worse, stop and pause and say, well, what is the next thing I can do that does not escalate, that does not increase the violence in the world? But then Jesus doesn't tell us to do nothing. What does he tell us? 
He tells us to turn the other cheek. What does that look like? Okay, let's say you hit me, bang, right? I've got a choice. Do I increase violence or do I say, okay, hit me again? Come on, hit me again. What's happening? I'm offering my other cheek. I'm not passively doing it. I'm actively offering my other cheek. You want to hit me once? All right, hit me twice. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing here. You can hit me. What's going on here? The challenge in Jesus' words is use your act of violence to now expose who you really are. What kind of person are you? The first strike may have been done you know, quickly. Most of the crowd may have missed it or most of the witnesses may have missed it. It may have been done in the heat of the moment. You know, there are all sorts of reasons why that first strike may have happened. But if you put your second cheek forward and said, okay, do it again. The second strike is public. The second strike is deliberate and the second strike is premeditated. If they strike us and we strike back, then in principle, we're sort of both guilty. We're both now escalating the violence in the world. If they strike us and then they strike us a second time, what what Jesus is setting up is a strategy in which you're exposing that they are a violent person. Whatever self-righteous hobby horse they jumped on top. I have the right. I have the authority. I can treat you the way I want you. How dare you? Whatever self-righteous hobby horse they jumped on that thought they gave, that gave them authority and permission to strike out at you, whatever striking out might have meant in that context, by turning the other cheek and making them do it a second time, what you're now exposing is that whatever self-righteous justifications they have made in their head is just rubbish. They're just an angry, violent person. This was a strategy Martin Luther King used in India. Sorry, in India. This is a strategy Martin Luther King used in the southern states of America to just show the violence inherent within racism. First strike, could have been an accident. What happened? Did anyone see that? Second strike, everyone saw it. And he would set up a situation in which he would continually train those who worked under him to turn the other cheek so everyone saw the second strike. And it was that consistent watching of the second strike that exposed the true violence in the hearts of people who tried to hide behind all sorts of civil slogans and other standards. It takes a lot of forbearance for someone to stand up and be willing to take the second strike in the name of justice, in the name of exposing the true heart of the enemy. This is not a passive sit back and just take it. This is an active thinking through of what it is that you can do that one does not increase or double the violence in the world but two at the same time puts the perpetrator in a position in which they become more exposed and if that costs you a second if that costs your other cheek being slapped then what Jesus says is take it but take it so that the true nature of the person who is striking out at you can be seen goes on and gives us a second illustration. If anyone, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. It's interesting that the context is to sue someone. This is someone takes you to court trying to use the law to get satisfaction for themselves. And they get to a point where through clever legal maneuvers or through a clever lawyer or whatever it is that they, whatever strategy they have sorted out, they're able to get to a point where basically you've got to take the shirt off your back and you're left there in that culture, a cloak and a shirt is pretty much your only clothing. So they take the shirt off your back, you're left there just wrapped in your coat or in your cloak. What does Jesus do in this situation? You've been unjustly stripped of your shirt. Someone has cleverly maneuvered the legal powers of that particular society and got you to a place where now you're standing shirtless. 
What does Jesus say? Give me a coat. Give him a coat. What's he saying? In the face of this oppressive behavior, give them what they want and then double it. Rather than doubling the violence, double the cost. Give them more than what they ask for. This active choice, notice it's not a passive choice. This is an active and a difficult choice. None of us in this situation would want to double the, 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 um, the items that we give to a person who has cornered us in this sort of position. So this is not a passive sit in the corner and, you know, and, and try to sulk and hide. This is an active, difficult choice that Jesus is calling his followers to make. What's the consequence of making this choice? Well, there's two that I, I can see. First, it means that we are not overcome by evil. When evil is done to us, what happens within our hearts is we want to retaliate, but also what happens in our heart is we want to, it becomes very tempting to try to use the same evil strategies back at the person that they've just used to us. And by actually taking what we're being required to give and doubling it as an active choice in our part, it means that we're not overcome by evil. It means that we are keeping our perspective and our heart in the right place. We are recognizing that there is more, that there are more important things in heaven and earth than than whether we get to keep our shirt. And we get to fight back against evil, not by performing evil acts ourselves in retaliation, but we fight evil with generosity. In the face of evil, we respond with kindness. In the face of greed, we respond even with generosity. It's completely counterintuitive to the way we might normally think. But but the second impact this has is it once again exposes the person who is acting as the perpetrator. By being doubly generous, giving your shirt and your cloak, here you go, you want my shirt, there you go, have my cloak also. What you've also done is you've stripped yourself naked in that society. You're now standing in front of society saying, this person has sued me and I've given them all that I have And now this person has what I used to own and I have been left stripped naked there in the full view of the community of people. And what it's doing is it's showing once again the consequences of this person's greed, the impact that this person's attitude has on the people that they are targeting. And it begins to challenge in a very public way any idea that this perpetrator, this person who's gone out and sued you for your shirt, Any idea that they are somehow important or heroic, look how you've left me. Is this really what an important and a heroic person does? It's very clever. There's nothing passive about this. As a matter of fact, to make the choices that Jesus is calling us to make through these illustrations will be some of the most difficult choices that any of us will ever have to make. And frankly, we will need a lot of of wisdom and a lot of counsel to make these choices well. This is a very deep and challenging response that Jesus is calling us to make in the face of the greed and the violence of people around us. And then, of course, the third illustration is this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Famously, this is based upon Roman law. So Roman law in this particular time said this. A Roman soldier could turn to any civilian in any any occupied nation just pick them off the street and say, you carry my bag. You know, I'm sick and tired. I've been on my feet all day. I don't want to keep carrying my stuff around. You carry my bag. But the law, you know, trying to be a little bit gracious and not incite too much rebellion, the law limited it to one mile. 
So a soldier could command anyone in an occupied nation to carry their stuff for one mile, but at the end of the mile, you put it down, then you turn around and walk home, and the soldier could not lawfully demand that you take it for any further than one mile. In that context, hear Jesus' words, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. The first mile is obligatory. The law and the might of the Roman Empire requires you to go the first mile. The second mile is your choice. It's voluntary. You chose that. Not the, not the empire, not the nation, not the authorities, not the powers. You chose that. Again, the principle here is do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with goodness and grace. It's about allowing yourself to bear the weight of another person's unjust act, but then to carefully consider how you can turn their unjust act toward you and respond in a way that communicates grace and goodness and generosity and opens up the possibility for healing in that relationship because of the way that you respond. Imagine if a Roman soldier had commanded you to, to carry your stuff. And so the first mile, it would have been, well, I'm in charge, I'm the soldier, you're carrying my stuff, here we go, walking down the street. Get to the end of the first mile, I'm expecting you to dump, dump my stuff and run away. And you go, no, no, it's all right, I'll, I'll go the next mile. Imagine what kind of conversations or questions that might open up in the minds of a Roman soldier who all of a sudden is dealing with someone who's actually now turned an act of oppression into an action of generosity. Imagine what conversations might be sparked. Imagine what, what, how that relationship shifts, the power dynamics. Now it's not me controlling you. Now you're actually sort of almost in charge of this because you're the one now leading the second light. It completely confuses what used to be a very simple arrangement of, of I'm in charge and you're under my thumb. But it does it in a way that does not increase violence, does not increase hardship and does not increase hurt and pain in the world around us. These are three incredibly clever strategies. Like I said, inspired Gandhi, inspired Martin Luther King, inspired many people to make incredible social reforms um, because of just how it pushes us past that I've been hurt, therefore I need to hurt you back reaction and causes us to seek for a much deeper and a much richer response. Jesus then finishes his teaching by giving us a new law or a new principle. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Give to those who ask, even if they don't deserve it. To those who insult you, make your first instinct to be generous. For those who make demands of you, carry my bag one mile. First instinct. What does it mean for me to turn this into something that communicates grace and goodness and not just something where my reaction simply increases the violence in the world? around us. The focus here is not for us to be, it's one of the fears people have. If we start living the Jesus way, then what's going to happen is all the bad people are going to get all the money and all the resources and all the power and all the good people are going to just be pushed into a corner because they're too nice to do anything about it. That's kind of the fear that we have. So therefore we have to retaliate, we have to fight back, we have to use violence if, you know, we have to, you know, we have to do this stuff because that's the only language that sometimes bad people understand. And I have not addressed the topic of justice at all. There absolutely is the need for a justice system and law courts and police and there is a, there is the necessity for justice to step in. Um, so I haven't even addressed that. I'm dealing, I'm dealing at a level where things are much more at an interpersonal relationship type level. 
So absolutely, people do need to go to, go to prison, that they do need to, to front up to a court, they do need to be judged. And there is absolutely a place for that. But what happens is that we end up living in this... Now, I have to retaliate, because if I don't retaliate, then I'm just going to become a pushover, and everyone's going to get all my money and all my time and all this thing, and I'm going to go with nothing, and it's going to be terrible. Therefore, I have to respond with anger. I have to respond with violence. I have to return an insult for an insult. But what Jesus is challenging is, is saying, actually... That's not really how the world works. That's your fear talking, not your faith talking. The focus is for us not to enter into the eye for an eye mindset, but for us to grapple with the deeper challenge of how do we maintain a generous and gracious heart, especially in the face of our enemies, which leads us to Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. If we ever find ourselves in a situation where we are feeling put upon however we define put upon and our response is to go passive or to go limp, then that's not the Jesus response. We can't use this passage or this teaching of Jesus to go, oh, well, I guess I just got to let him hit me again. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is not a passive limp response in the face of, of injustice or accusations or cruelty. So I love what Tim said. No, actually what this is a call, this is an active response. This is, this is calling us to wake up in that moment, to lift our heads up, to lift our eyes up, to switch our brain on and go, ooh, did you see that? Oh, you didn't see that. All right. Well, I reckon you should have seen that. Let, let me create an opportunity where, where next time you can actually see it because we need to draw this out into the light. This is an unjust act that just took place right in front of us, right? This is calling us to wake up in those moments. So if there's anything in you that's heard anything that's been said in this sermon that leads you to become passive or limp in the face of any of these types of things, then can I just say no? Step one is wake up. Step one is become active. Step one is engage your brain. Step one is engage your eyes. To do that, though, depending on what circumstance we're in, we can't often do that alone. So it's really important then to have trusted friends or trusted counsellors around you Myself as a pastor, but I'm one of the deacons, trusted friends, people who you know you can go to who offer you wise advice. And to be able to say to them, you know what, I'm now in a situation where I'm being sued for this or someone slapped me on the cheek, whatever that happens to me in your context, or, you know, someone's making me go one mile. Everything within me wants an eye for an eye. Come on, I want to be honest with you. Everything within me either wants an eye for an eye or I'm finding myself in a situation where I'm sort of playing limp fish because I've just got this Christian idea that Christians just don't retaliate, so therefore we sort of flop around and do nothing about it, right? And I heard Stephen's message, and I know that both of those responses are not the Jesus way, but I'm sort of caught like a deer in the headlights. I can't really think clearly because it's a bit overwhelming. Can you just help me here? Seeking wise advice in moments like this, that is incredibly important. And if you're even right now in a moment where you're recognising some of the themes we're talking about and you're trying to discern a way through, can I strongly encourage you to pick someone who you deeply trust? Uh, I'm, I'm certainly happy to be a first port of call, but you may already have someone else in mind, someone who you deeply trust. You can just sit down and go, you know what, I, I just need help. I, I need to get active in this space, but I don't know what that looks like. I'm too overwhelmed by it. And just open that up. So first is, if, if your response is passive, can I put a thought in your brain to catch yourself and go, no, 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 that's not the Jesus way. Jesus is calling us to an active response. But then that leads to number two. Whatever our response is, it cannot be to double the violence. All right? 
There is a response, and he's given us three models already, which, uh, which I'd be happy to work through with you, but it can't be to double the response. So the eye for an eye response, we also need to check our heart and check our spirit on that. But the third one is, I love the three responses. They're incredibly clever at taking something which someone means for our harm and twisting it and throwing it back at them in a way that confronts them for who they really are and reframes the kinds of behaviour and connections that we might have. And so I think those stories can certainly inspire us to think through what it means to be people who live this Jesus way in the world around us. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for this challenging word. It's actually very hard to preach. Can can I confess to you all this was a hard sermon to write? Just because I know that behind all of the words and behind all of the ideas, there is a wealth of people who have a wealth of personal experience that can be very negative and very challenging and very difficult and very harmful and very hurtful. And that I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is for each individual person here. Lord God, I pray that the people who are listening would, would that you by your spirit would just implant your word, but implant it with incredible grace. No one would feel condemnation. No one would feel judged. No one would feel called to be put in a position where they're just going to take it. No one would feel that they have, have to become passive in the face of injustice or in the face of cruelty or in the face of insult. But Lord, also give us a deep heart and a deep wisdom and a deep love and respect for each other that we might help each other and, and support each other through these challenging times. Help us to understand and learn your wisdom and be people who can increase the mercy and the grace and the goodness and the truth and the justice in the world around us and not be people who'd simply just increase the violence in the world around us by the way that we react. Lord God, for all these incredibly deep themes, I pray that you'd be gracious to us, plant them in our hearts and give us deep wisdom in all of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's conclude with the blessing and the sending because we all know that our Christian walk is not meant to be just for around the grounds of this church. That, you know, Sunday is not our main event. So as we go out into the world this week, let's choose to follow Jesus in our everyday lives. May the peace of God enfold us, the love of God uphold us, and the wisdom of God control us. Amen. Amen.